Hey there, stylish ThoughtBot podcast listener. We're back with another ThoughtBot swag sale. For the rest of the year, you can show your support for our podcast with shirts, pint glasses, and even limited edition socks. We have two new designs specifically for giant robots and bike shed t-shirts that have only before been available at conferences. For the production and shipping, we are proud to once again be partnering with Social Imprints, who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I attended a little bit of Keep Ruby Weird this morning and got to see Ellie give her keynote, which was really cool, and a couple of other cool talks. So today may be all about conferences. <laughs> yeah. What, how, what makes Keep Ruby Weird weird? I've always wondered. I mean, the attendees, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but are the talks like a little quirky or something? Like, what is the... Do you know? So this is the first one that I've been to. And from what I understand, yes, they've got the air on the side of weird. The one that Ellie gave this morning was not so weird. It was very interesting. The one after hers, I forgot the guy's name. I'm terrible. But he essentially used to be a concert clarinetist? Clar- clarinetist? What what would that word be? He used to play the clarinet. Yes. <laughs> Professionally, I guess. Yeah. So he, he had studied it in college. I think maybe even got a degree in it or something. And so he, in between the points of his talk, was giving us these, like, mini, like, he was doing, like, bits of pieces by, like, Stravinsky and and different composers. And, I mean, he's excellent. So that was really weird, but cool. Cool. It was, like, half concert, half, you know, clarinet concert, I guess. Half talking about software development. (laughs) So there was also one after his about... It was like drawing correlations between like playing Dungeons and Dragons online and like pair programming and working with remote teams. <laughs> so, oh, I, I mean, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons online, but I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, no, for sure. He had some excellent points. And also one of the women on his team or on not his development team, but someone that he plays with, like in Australia or something, had done all the illustrations for his talk. And they were all like the Japanese, like anime style gamer kind of aesthetic. And it was really cool looking. That's really cool. The one conversation at lunchtime that I can never get involved in is gaming. Like, and every, and that seems like something that everybody else has a commonality with. Or even even if they're not playing games now, it's like what games they used to play growing up and things like that. And I just didn't have that experience. But I really do think it has, like, it created many programmers. Yeah, there are definitely, like, correlations. Yeah. yeah, in in those cultures. I feel similarly. I didn't have, like, a big connection with that kind of stuff growing up. I had older brothers. They were like seven and nine years older than me. And, 
you know, this was in like the 80s and 90s. And so they were super into NES and Super Nintendo and Sega when it came out. So I was like into that stuff by association. (laughs) (laughs) So I know of it, but I'm not very familiar with it. I was actually kind of thinking about this. It's the same kind of feeling. There's been a lot of talk lately about women are talking about how they got their start with development, like with, what is it called? Neopets. Neopets, yeah. Okay, I don't know what that is either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so relieved. (laughs) Oh, this is excellent. Yeah, or, you know, they're talking about like their live journals and, you know, Zangas and stuff like that, which I've had like the blogs and stuff from back in the day, but I never really, like, any amount of CSS or HTML stuff I did with those was definitely not, like, stored in my brain that I can, you know, (laughs) pull up as, like, oh, my first experience with programming. Well, I guess, like, the first things I started to play with, I just never thought I was actually learning something valuable. I didn't, you know, I just thought, oh, everybody was just going to figure out how to, like, change their CSS for their MySpace (laughs) page or whatever, and that was just going to be, like, a normal thing. Right. And I think it was... To a certain extent. And then the browser wars began. Yeah. (laughs) And everything got complicated. I don't know. Oh, yeah. So what do you want to talk about with the conference, with CSS DevConf? We went to CSS DevConf in New Orleans. I was thinking maybe we could share some of our favorite talks or favorite moments from the conference or just being in New Orleans because New Orleans is awesome. Yep. How many conferences have you been to a conference before? Was this your first CSS DevConf? Was this your first conference? You've been to conferences. I am not well versed in the conference arena. Surely I've been to some, but my brain is very tired and I can't remember what they what they have been. But you you've hosted a meetup in Austin, so you've mm-hmm. you've like been to a lot of talks and like oh, yeah. been to a lot of things. Yeah. But this was my first CSS DevConf, so that was really exciting. What was your overall impression? I really liked it. I think it was definitely worth the time and money. Obviously, I loved the location, so that really helped. I went in thinking that the workshops were actually a part of the regular conference. Mm. And so I, you know, went in thinking, oh, I'll have this like whole day and get to like actually do some work around like animations and stuff like that and kind of have this like take home thing, maybe even homework or or something that I can like continue to work on. And so I was a little disappointed that I wasn't able to attend those, but it didn't ruin the experience for me for sure. And I made a point to go to Val Head's talk since I knew I wouldn't be at her workshop. Yeah, because the workshops are like almost the same price as the conference itself, right? Right. Yeah. So that would have been cool. And I actually really like that model. Like, Being able to kind of allow for all different kinds of talks for the first two days and then focus more on the like technical kind of workshop type stuff for that third day. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's nice because, you know, I think a lot of people have like a conference budget and they work at big companies. And so it's very easy for them to afford that. And that's great. But then Mm -hmm. I like that it's not definitely a part of it because... The full total would probably be too much. Yeah. For yeah, I mean, Thoughtbot's pretty generous, and they'll pay fifty percent of a conference mm-hmm. that we go to, but that still can add up. Right. Yeah. For sure. 
I think it could have been worth it. I'm not sad that I accidentally had an extra day to hang out in New Orleans, though. (laughs) But overall, like, there was a really good balance to me of more technical talks versus your more, well, I don't know what you would call them, but sort of culture-driven talks or just real talk. I'll call it real talk. talk. (laughs) (laughs) I find, like, there's the positives and the negatives to the tracked conferences. So this conference has three tracks. So there's always three talks going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you always get FOMO, right? You always like feel like you're missing out on something. Mm -hmm. But I like being able to choose my own adventure and choose the things I really want to pay attention to. And then also that the top or that like suit my interests and then the top six talks. So if there was a really good talk, and you missed it, there's a likelihood that it's going to get done again on the second day. The talks that are voted the highest on the mm-hmm. get to redo their talk the second day. Yeah, I think they did a good job of trying to make as much available as possible, even though there were a lot of speakers. I was yeah. going back through some of the notes provided by the conference And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's all these talks that I had no idea were going on. I know. I know. I feel like this time, too, I missed a lot because I was speaking and I was speaking at the end of the day on Monday that I spent a few hours on Monday finalizing things and missed out on a bunch of good talks. So I would like to. And and nothing was recorded this time either. So I'm just going to have to go to more conferences. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. What was your favorite talk? Besides mine. (laughs) Yeah, besides yours. (laughs) Which one best talk in the conference, by the way? Hello. That's still really weird. (laughs) Um, How surprised was I? I was so surprised. Yeah, you looked very like, I think you were like, you were trying to question them with your eyes. You were like, are you sure you got the right person? (laughs) (laughs) It's also just a weird thing. Like when I came back to the office, everybody in the thought by NYC office is like, I didn't know you could win a conference. I was like, I guess so. (laughs) I think I think more conferences should have trophies because people love trophies. Everybody's like, are you going to bring in your trophy? Yeah. No, it's huge. I'm not bringing it into the, on the subway. <laughs> Are you talking about the pencil or did you get an no, additional trophy? You didn't see the like actual trophy. It's like glass. I think I was and... so excited. I kept taking pictures and totally <laughs> missed that part. And I got, I got, for being in the top six, I got a pencil that is, I, I don't know, like 14 inches long, maybe. Like it's really long. It's like, mm-hmm. I measure everything as if it's a Barbie doll length and it's mm-hmm. long. It's longer than a Barbie doll and a Barbie doll's 12 inches. <laughs> And it's like a real pencil and then an actual trophy, which is really nice. Like, that was really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It was well-deserved. Oh, thanks. But yeah, besides, I wrote down in my notes here, Brenda's duh. Besides (laughs) (laughs) Brenda's talk, of course, I mean, it's hard not to say Mina Markham's. She did the opening keynote and she talked about the two years or so that she spent on Hillary Clinton's campaign building out the design system for that geniusly named pantsuit. (laughs) I cried at the end of that talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she got a standing ovation. Oh, yeah. Which I've never seen before either. It was was really inspirational in a technical way and just in a human way. 
For sure. That, yeah, I would say that talk actually did a good job of just kind of encompassing the whole vibe of CSS Dev, DevConf. Like we were saying, there were parts of it that were technical and there were parts of it that were so real and inspirational. I mean, her talking about what it was like to fail on a team like that and, you know, imposter syndrome and things like that, but also talking about how much it took to build an entire design system around, you know, that Hillary Clinton's brand. And yeah, she talked about technical debt a little bit, which I, I found interesting. Yeah, me too, because it was good to hear about it in such a specific context, like in the context of a campaign website, like moving fast and getting something up is way more important than something living on like that website's not gonna live on after the campaign, you know, so it was a good reminder of really taking into account what your situation is for your code. And sometimes you can break your own rules for a greater benefit for that particular project. For sure. I think Thoughtbot designers are faced with that a little bit more often than not, <laughs> just because we work so much on MVP products that I feel like there's always that tension between like, you know, trying to get something out there yeah. and trying to do it right so that it's sustainable. But then you sometimes get like, I'll get projects that come in that were built elsewhere now now they're feeling the pain. I mean, not just that, like, we're the only people who write great stuff. But, you know, like that things that we didn't start that have come in, and now we need to like grow from and it's a app that wants to grow, and it wasn't built in a way to grow. So yeah, but maybe, you know, I think a lot of times it's very easy for that to happen. And then you go, ugh. Those developers, they didn't, they weren't very good. They, why didn't they do it this way? But like, if you think about it, maybe that's what actually needed to happen at the time to get that to the point where it could grow. Like, if you don't get seed money and you don't, mm-hmm. you know, have a product out there that's actually like getting money in, then that's worse than having, or you could have really good code that's not, <laughs> you know, shipped yet. Like, you know, then you're not getting anything and then it doesn't live because it's time has passed, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I I definitely feel that it's so easy to point the blame to at someone else. Yeah. In those situations, it's you're like, oh, I didn't write that. And that's pretty gnarly. And now I have to deal with it. Yeah, I'm trying really hard. It's very easy to like critique somebody mysterious, get blame person. But I don't know, I had somebody do this to me a, a, a while ago. This wasn't here at ThoughtBot, but a new developer came onto a project and the way that they phrased the questions they'd ask me were, why didn't you do this this way? Instead of asking like, why did you make this decision? And it, and it made me really like made me defensive, right? Of you know, course. like it came yeah. with a judgment of like, you should have done this this way. Why didn't you? Instead of just asking, why did you make this decision? Because you don't ever know all of the constraints that people are under at the time. And, and also we all learn along the way. So. Yeah. And it also implies that every decision you make is the exact right decision. And we all know that that's not true. Like there are usually multiple avenues for accomplishing something. And actually like you, like something that you said in your, in your talk on CSS grid stuff during the conference is, you know, we look back at code all the time and think like, 
what was I thinking <laughs> at the time? <laughs> you know, if we always had a mindset of like, of course, this is correct. Like, this is the end all and be all of how this should be done. Then we'd never grow and learn. And we'd never get anything done. You yeah. Know? But that that actually like those slides came up from literally right before I got on stage, like two hours before I got on stage. And I was like, okay. So because I had made all my slides and like the weeks before the conference, I had been traveling and been with family. So I hadn't been alone to practice my talk like at all. So I was doing that in the hotel room. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to show examples of old stuff I've done. And I pulled up the websites that I was going to use as examples, like the actual live sites, and then took a hard look at the code. And I was like, what have I done? Like, what is this? Like, <laughs> I don't even understand this. And I'm ready to present it in front of like a couple hundred people. And so then I put in that slide that was like, let, you know, disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> You should always want to refactor what you did two months ago, because if you don't, then that means you really haven't grown, right? Yeah, definitely. Right. I also really liked, I don't mean to like just be like, keynotes are great, but I felt like I learned a lot from Harry Roberts talking about performance, mm -hmm. which I don't think is something that I consider enough mm -mm. or have been considering enough. I don't know. Maybe it's not always the type of projects that I'm on, but just like... A couple things that have really stuck with me is he was talking about different countries and how how slow the internet is in other places and how data costs so much in certain countries. And that's something I've never really considered. It's not it's also like it's not just how slow something is, but it's how much it costs. And I actually we host a meetup here in ThoughtBot New York City. That's CSS Layout Club. And we're always looking at can I use and Opera Mini, everything's always red in Opera Mini, you know, like Opera Mini doesn't support anything. And so I asked Jen Simmons, who's part of the CSS working group, like, why is Opera Mini never getting all the like anything? Like, what is going on with Opera Mini? And she talked about like that it's a proxy browser and it's actually meant to not bring over so much data. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't support things that are weighty on purpose because it's meant to be used in places where you don't want to download a lot of data. So you can still search the web, but it might not show you a web page that's as optimized as other browsers because it's showing you lighter versions of the web page. That was really interesting yeah. to me too. So I downloaded Opera Mini so I could look and see what's going on on, <laughs> on my websites too. Like it's like a good really baseline, I think too. If it probably if it looks good on Opera Mini and is usable, then like it's probably I think it's probably a good good baseline. Yeah. Fallback, fallback, fallback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do not think about that stuff nearly as much as I should. And that also makes me you know, when you talk about the money issue too, how much it costs for people in different parts of the world to access content. Yeah. It really makes you reflect on like what it is that you're putting out there. Like, and not, I guess not just designers, but even, even marketers and, and people who are writing content or any yeah. kind of data, like making that like really valuable so that they're getting everything that they, that they need for that extra, like, gig that they have to buy or whatever it is. Yeah. Or even, you know, presentation order of things like, mm -hmm. you know, waiting for something to load that's really important. I don't know. And also, I think like, again, like I think I've been working on very US based, not just like, oh, it's for the US market, maybe somebody else will use it. It's been like, 
only for businesses in the US is like a B2B solution is kind of what I've been working on lately. So I guess that's also not really been a consideration so much, but definitely haven't considered it in the past like I should, I feel. Yeah. So we need to get to work. <laughs> so I think that's that's what happens at conferences all the time too is the oh crap I don't yeah. know anything I thought I knew things and now here are all these things that I don't know and I need to get my act together mm-hmm. how do oh. you combat those feelings that actually makes me think of some of the conversations that were happening on the speaker panel yeah just around I think it was the context was actually imposter syndrome, but what you just said made me think of the way that they talked about how those people are experts in that one thing, bring a ton of like knowledge and insight from one particular topic. And it's not necessarily that they know a whole lot more than we do about front end development or design in general. It's just that like they're experts on these things. And so when that's all like come together in one conference and you're just like kind of consuming it, it's easy to feel like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> what am I doing? I don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was, I missed this talk and I was really upset. I missed this talk. It was Stephanie Hobson displaying data on small screens. And I think it was like all about tables. Mm-hmm. And she, so she said, she said, I know I am the expert at tables sitting on the speaker panel. More like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I like still don't know if a TR goes before a TV. Okay, I know it does, <laughs> but that's about all I know about tables. Oh, I need a reference every time I write a table, every time. I'm not ashamed to say that. Right. I just want to make sure I'm doing it right. Right. Uh, I mean, I still have to like, there's always the things you always look up to, like, like, I can't even think of what the CSS property is. But when you don't want a word to break <laughs> or a line to break. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't. It's not. It's not, not logic. It's not is it like white what you would space. Think of, I think it's white space. It's like yeah. white space, no wrap or something or white yeah. space, no break or. But then there's something that's like word break, but that's not the right one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. ne- See, I can't even think of it. I would have to look it up right now if I was using it. But I feel like I use that pretty often, too. But it's still <laughs> like it's just never going to get in there. It's never going to cement. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's exactly like you're saying. <laughs> it should be word break or something that describes what the, the actual function. <laughs> have you seen that page on, I think it's, I don't know if it's on CSS GitHub for the working group or something, but it's like, Things we wish we could go back in time and change about CSS that were bad decisions. <laughs> and it's a lot of that is like, why do we name this this? It was like current color variable should be current dash color. Like some things are camel case, some things have dashes, some mm-hmm. things don't have dashes. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Any other favorite talks? I really liked Vincent Nalupta's design language system talk. It's interesting to me to hear how like some concepts that we use on client work, which are usually like starting projects and small projects, like Mm -hmm. how those ideas get translated into bigger systems and bigger companies. And I think like the way at ThoughtBot that we resolve the tension between design and development is that we have our designers develop, you know, which like, which helps, which helps that communication barrier a lot. It's so easy to talk to yourself. And so I felt like his talk was talking about how to do that in a larger organization. And so 
everybody's speaking similar language and there's collaboration from development in the beginning of a process. So that was cool. That gave me a lot to chew on. What about you? Yeah, I didn't see that one. Sounds cool. It was good. I guess one of my other favorites would have been Valhead's because I was really looking forward to either seeing her talk or being in her workshop because I've been following her for a while. But she did a pretty short talk on easing functions for animations like on the web. And it was really technical, not from a software perspective, more like she was literally talking about mathematical theories that we use to you know, how we write these animations. And so it was just one of those talks where I was in it and like my mouth was kind of like halfway open, like, what is she saying? This is amazing. (laughs) And she showed this really cool video. I don't think she created this video. I can't remember who it's by. I can post it in the show notes. But it was essentially on how a computer calculates a Bezier curve. And it just kind of showed like the paths on a X and Y axis and how like that curve is created. And so much of that is pretty much directly translated in how we write these things in code. So I thought that was really interesting. I've seen her talk before and I've really enjoyed what she shares and I'm sad I missed that. I remember like when I was geeking out on SVGs and really trying to learn about SVGs and I was trying to understand cubic Bezier curves Mm -hmm. because that's like how paths are created, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like breaking down and understanding like the basics, like the coordinate system, you know, like I I was doing really well with SVGs and then I got to cubic Bezier curves and there's like a huge (laughs) formula of what a cubic Bezier curve is. And it's like one of those like massive, like it's a fraction and the line of the fraction like covers like, I I don't know, it was was very intimidating. I was like, okay, I'm not going to learn this part. (laughs) I'm just going to like let that be magic. So that would have been really interesting. The numbers look really intimidating, but this video that she used for part of her slides and that I watched afterwards, it did like a visual representation of what was happening. And essentially, like, there are really only like four or five components to it, right? You have like, you only need two things. It's a line or two points, rather. Yeah. And you need time because it takes time for a line to be drawn between those two points. And the thing that makes it a Bezier curve would be the handles yeah. that happen, which create a sort of shape on a grid. And then within that shape, I don't know what, what kind of shape you would call it, but it's it's like a square, but not a square, irregular square. A rectangle? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but angled. I haven't had geometry in a many, rhombus? many years. Yeah. That sounds Diamond? fine. I don't know. That sounds fine. And so within that, there's a triangle that travels along Mm -hmm. the path that that shape creates. And then within that triangle, there's like a tangent line that travels along the triangle as it's traveling along the path that the curve makes. And then on that tangent line, there's a point. And the point is what draws the line. And so that's what this draws the line that is like curved, right? Yeah. And all of this is going at the same rate from like zero to 100%. And that's essentially, I don't know, the visual like representation of it makes it seem really simple in a way that I can't even explain it. But that's it. Like I need visual representation to understand anything. I look at numbers and I stress out. Yeah. I'll (laughs) send it to you. (laughs) Okay, good. What do you think, this is something like I've been thinking about a lot. Like what do you think makes a good talk? Hmm. 
for me at least, there's always got to be like the human element. There's got to be, and, and I, don't, I don't mean like you have to talk about your failure or you have to make me feel more comfortable about where I am. It's just kind of expressing some level of humanity, whether that's like a speaker talking about what drives them to care about this topic or care about their users if they're talking about design or talking about their experience and their failures, you know, something like that. I, I definitely feel like I need that to be able to connect. Yeah, I, you said that very well. I <laughs> totally agree. And I wouldn't have been able to express it that well. Yeah. And then I think just an element of like, something new and interesting that like doesn't get talked about very much or an interesting perspective on something that maybe does get talked about. Yeah, it's nice when somebody gives a talk on something that's been spinning around my head that I've never formulated into a cohesive thought. Like the other grid talk, which was by Miriam Suzanne, and it was Don't Use My Grid System or Any Others. And she wrote the grid framework, Susie. But she really mm -hmm. like went through like a whole like history of layout and how we think about layout and floats. And sometimes, you know, we're just like, hacking like you know how floats are so hacky and so mm -hmm. like how we use them in so many ways and like you know it but I don't know there was a lot of things that like she talked about that I felt I was like yes yes no you know but I hadn't they hadn't really come up to the surface yet I like that yeah. kind of stuff I don't know how to bring that stuff up to the surface in my mind to talk about but I appreciate when other people do I just like to talk about cool new things that I learn. I don't know what else to talk about in talks. Well, I think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of these sort of aspects of your talk was that you were just trying to show realistic scenarios in which you can apply CSS grid. And that is also something that gets lost a lot of times with more technical talks or talks around like a very specific thing like CSS grids. Sometimes, you know, people will get up there and just kind of like show a bunch of cool stuff that they've been working on that like nobody can really take and apply to projects that they're currently working on. I thought that you gave some really good examples of how to easily just kind of bring grid into a project that even if it's not necessarily supported, what was the thing that you were the like the feature queries yeah I think you, yeah feature queries yeah so that's not something i know a whole lot about but to me i i was able to just take that simple thing that i didn't know about and the idea of adding a feature query to introduce grid even though you've already got this either flexbox system or grid system set up as your fallback or as your initial like thing that's really practical and i think being able to talk about things in a practical way is it may not be quote unquote as interesting as like you know yeah some kind of like fancy talk but it's like inspiring in a, in a different way like i yeah. like whenever i see like sarah drasner talk and she does all these amazing animations and i and i missed her talk this year because again another talk i'm bummed i missed but it was also like on Vue.js, and i'm trying to like learn javascript kind of like core javascript right now and i was mm -hmm. like i can't i can't get another framework <laughs> in my head like i'm not i've never touched Vue. like i can't can't manage it but like she does all these amazing animations and i'm not an illustrator and like i don't like i get inspired watching it but that's not the type type of talk i'm gonna 
give. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm comfortable presenting like, wow, I find this really interesting and I've learned this and this is how I use this and I'm sharing that. I mean, I guess maybe that's what she's doing too, but she's doing it for something different. But like the other conference talk I did was on SVGs and it was the same thing. It was like, I just totally geeked out on SVGs for six months and made a talk about all the things I like researched. And then with Grid, I've been like really geeking out on Grid for a year and was lucky enough to be a bit early person to geek out on it. And people wanted to hear it when I gave a talk on it. Well, just like with anything, your perspective is going to be very different from someone else's who's teaching themselves grid or who's heard other talks on grid. And so there's definitely always something to be learned. Oh, yeah. I feel like CSS grid was definitely a topic of this year. Components. I feel like, have you used CSS modules or anything schmancy like that? I haven't really had the opportunity no, no, not officially. <laughs> I haven't even really, I, you and I kind of talked about this before the conference started. You were asking me if, if I've implemented a design system and I yeah. haven't even really done that. I mean, there are aspects of design systems that we try to incorporate into our work. I think in general designers here at ThoughtBot, but yeah, no, nothing ever officially I mean, I would love to like even just do a style guide, though. That would be yeah. really fun. I just proposed that to my current client to do a pattern library. Like, I haven't been on a project that's big enough to warrant a system, you know, really mm-hmm. yet. And especially because I think the way we're working usually in, in MVP startup style is like there's so much iteration that you're not really to the point where, like, I don't know, design system seems a little too much for while we're still exploring the brand live Mm -hmm. and getting like live feedback but a pattern library I think is always useful and can like always be something that is just a part of your project like it doesn't have to be like well now I'm going to take a week and I'm going to build this pattern library it's just like you have it in your app and when you're building something you just add it there like the current project I'm on I came on to a year after it had been in development and Still, every time I'm something comes up and it's like, okay, we need to make a form on this page. And I'm like, okay, what is the markup for like the form containers? Like, what do the forms look like? I forget which pages there are a good form that I'm looking for. You know, I'm always like going through the oh, yeah. app looking for things. And we do like rotations, you know, like, you know, every few months on a lot of our projects. So I think it would be good for us. I'm going to, so I'm trying it here. Like, I know I'm on this project for another 12 weeks. So that's a really good time for me to like, I just set it up this week and I can like slowly, you know, like while I'm waiting for PR reviews and and things to go through, like it shouldn't slow me down to like start to add patterns to that and get something going. So hopefully then the next ThoughtBot designer who comes on or like even a developer can pick up things from there, a backend developer and style things without me having to come in and like make things pretty after they're done or things like that. (laughs) So I'm really trying that with this app. And I got buy-in like, how did I sell it? I got buy-in like pretty quickly. I was like, I've decided this would be a good idea. I really kind of told it. And then just, you know, and just kind of like I said right now, like this isn't going to like take up much more time. I just like, it's a good time in the project to do it. I think it will be beneficial in these ways. And they're like, great, sounds good. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Victory. That was a huge, 
aspect of Paul Grant's talk, actually, like how to sell a design system to a client. Yeah. And I mean, I loved some of the points he made just about like introducing small components of a system or a, or a pattern library bit by bit doing it in between like PR reviews and things like that is a really good idea. And it makes it way less daunting. Yeah. And it, it makes it to easier to thing. sell. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe, and I don't know if this is the right answer, but this is what I'm experimenting with is like maybe the way that developers write tests for everything when they're building it, like we're mm -hmm. updating the library, pattern library, mm -hmm. or putting new components in there while we're working. Like, so it's creating something that's more sustainable and that will help us work faster moving forward. Or not just us, like whoever inherits what we're, we're working on. I think too, because we also like get the luxury of starting things from scratch a lot or working on things that are young. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I've been on, well, maybe not a while, something legacy. Like a legacy project? Yeah. yeah. I like those two. <laughs> I like I'm going to give two. them all to you then. <laughs> really? I do. I love refactoring. I have to keep control over myself so I don't like. But I do. I'm I'm very controlled. So, I don't I also don't think you should ever like go into a project and right away be like whatever, I'm going to reorganize the architecture straight away. You right. know like like yeah. no, you want to get in and like get a feel and see why people, you know, see what is what before you like make big sweeping changes or decisions, you know? Mhm. Mm I don't even know what I was saying, but, <laughs> but I don't know. What have you been working on lately? That's actually sort of what I've been working on lately, but not in a legacy code base. It's more like legacy sketch file. Ooh. Oh gosh. Yeah. Which is much more difficult to refactor. I bet. <laughs> I say refactor, but that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like I find it really difficult to organize symbols in sketch, especially when there's a lot of you know, stuff that was there before I came in. So yeah, I am actually working on a project that's strictly like visual and UI design and sort of filling in flows for some things that were set up before I came onto the project. And so I'm not doing any development. I'm all in sketch, which is a really nice change for me. I was excited to do that because I hadn't been in sketch very much. And I felt like I was definitely neglecting that, like, I guess, design skill set. Yeah, that, I think that happens for us a lot is that mm -hmm. we sometimes we switch back and forth and like it's good to get to flex different muscles sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I've been using, I don't, have you ever used abstract? No. What is it? I know that Kyle has talked about it on this podcast before, but it's essentially version control kind of stuff for, oh, for design. Cool. Yeah. So it's got a lot of the same language as Git and GitHub. And so it makes it actually really easy for me to keep things organized and, and keep a really good flow going with my process because I'm so used to using Git and GitHub. Yeah. And also it just makes sense. It's just a good, it's a really good system, right? So I'm able to branch off of the master file, the master like sketch file and work on things, you know, by component, by feature, or just by like random weird requests from project managers. <laughs> <laughs> and so it keeps my workflow like a lot more simple and I can pull in changes from master 
It definitely does not work as well as Git does. And Sketch, the integration with Sketch is a little annoying. Like, it will pull in changes that you didn't even really make. Like, if you just opened the file and just accidentally touched one little thing, it's like, you've made a hundred changes. <gasps> I've not I've really had that before with Sketch. <laughs> or I, I yeah. think they worked this out, but there was like, if somebody opened a Sketch file on their computer and they didn't have the font and they hit save, oh. it would like replace the font everywhere. I don't think it does that anymore, but I've Yeah, I've they ask you. They'll, they'll show you which fonts and ask you if you want to replace them now. Which I don't even touch them because that's another sort of part of the legacy part that I was talking about is, you know, in the beginning, whatever designer worked on this was, and, and it wasn't a ThoughtBot designer, was experimenting with different type. And so mm. there are a few in there. I can't tell if it's like actually in the prototype or if it's just in old symbols that aren't being used. And so I'm like, every time I open any of the files, it's always got that thing that says missing fonts. And I'm like, I'm not touching it. I'm just leaving it there. <laughs> That's something Forever. I've been thinking about too is like, I think especially when you jump onto a new project, whether it's code or whether it's something like sketch file, you don't want to delete anything because you don't understand what's going on. And so it's making me think about like how important it is to delete the things you're not using when you know you're not going to use them anymore. Like I just did a whole new about us page and there were all these you know on the website I'm working on and there were a whole bunch of images in there. Like I can delete those and, you know, and, and delete the old CSS file and just like remembering to do cleanup because nobody's going to ever clean up the things you don't clean up for you for a very yep. long time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I know we've been going for a little while, but I definitely don't want to leave without making you do highs and lows with me. What's highs and lows? It's just like a high of this week and a low of this week. You Ooh. don't have to do it if you don't want to, but it can be either work-related or not. Okay. Oh, I like this. You go first. Okay. Oh, I didn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Mine are probably not going to be work-related, just not because I don't have any highs work, work-wise, work just we've been talking about work a lot. The weather is incredible here right now. <laughs> and I know that's so silly to talk about, but like, it's like a high of 66 in Texas right now and not a cloud in the sky and super sunny and cold. To me, it's cold. And so I'm like wearing socks around my house and snuggling on the couch a lot. Aww. It makes me happy. <laughs> How cold does it get like cold? I mean, does it get 40s during the day or is it like... We'll have a couple of weeks where it's 40s during the day. Ooh. Yeah. And that's Oof. about it. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> rough. <laughs> Very rough. Yeah. Lowe's, I have been traveling so much just between like the conference and having to go back home actually to New Orleans and traveling a bit before that. I am like done with airports. I'm done with the chaos that it creates in your life afterwards where you're like, I don't have anything together and all of my laundry is still dirty. <laughs> I know. I probably have like 10 highs. I've had a really full week. That's good. But the best thing this week was that three of my favorite people who don't live in New York anymore were here. But that's also what made it a complicated week because I've, I had to squeeze in time to see them. So it was Ellie who used to be a developer here at ThoughtBot New York City and her partner Lachlan and their baby. On Saturday night, I got a call from her 
She said, hey, our flight to Toronto, <laughs> we missed it. And we're at JFK and we can't get booked till tomorrow. Can we spend the night? I was like, yes. <laughs> so I didn't think I was really going to get much time with them and because they're only here like a little bit this week. So that was like the high. And then my best friend who lives in Southern California was also here visiting. And I got a little time with him. And then the low, I have a very obvious low, which is... The elevator in my building has been oh, on and off working all week. And I live on the eighth floor. So no, they're that's, repla- that's awful. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> they're replacing the elevators in my building. And so there's two and we've only had one for like three months, which has also been a challenge. But I've gotten to know all my neighbors because all we do is like complain about it. And then, But then starting last week, like a week ago, I like, came home from a night out like I had a drink and I like was on the subway and somebody on the subway threw up in our subway car and we all had to move subway cars it was like you know just like and then like it was one stop away from my stop and then finally we move on and we get to my stop and then I come home and they're like the elevator's broken you have to walk up eight flights of stairs it's like okay and so I've been walking up and down eight flights of stairs most of this week well I mean, exercise, I guess. <laughs> I know. I guess. Not so bad, I guess. But I guess I'm going to have a nice, shiny new elevator next week. Yeah. Oh, God, elevators. They're like my worst nightmare. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> next time on Tentative, we'll talk about how terrifying elevators are. <laughs> have you been stuck in an elevator? Not for a very long time, but I used to have a terrible fear of them when I was younger. Like I grew up with my grandmother and I used to beg her, beg her to walk up flights of stairs with me because I did Aww. not want to get in elevators. Poor woman. She did it too. Oh, but interestingly enough, I met someone at CSS DevConf who, do you know those elevators? They're fancy where you push, <laughs> they're fancy. You push a button and it'll tell you which one to, a button oh, yeah. to like indicate which floor you want to go to. It'll tell you which elevator to get in. Yeah. So he works on, I think he works on the interfaces of, of those. I might be wrong about that, but he works for a company that builds those kinds of things. So he works in the technology in some way. And so he, for whatever reason, I expressed my anxiety about elevators to him. And he assured me that elevators are much safer than escalators and even stairs, really. Like the likelihood of hurting yourself or dying like on stairs or an escalator is way higher. He said elevators have like backup brakes and all these other things. And so I think about him like every time I get in an elevator now, oh. like he said they were safe. So I actually good. saw him at the airport on my way home from the conference and I was like, hey, I'm going to remember you forever. <laughs> I love that. I've yeah. been thinking about that because of all the elevator problems right now. <laughs> and I've been getting into conversations with my neighbors about the algorithm of the elevator because it also like I'm on the top floor and I don't know if it's always been like this, but all of a sudden my elevator, it'll like if somebody else comes in and presses six and I press eight, it'll go to six. 
and then it'll go back down to one and pick somebody else up. And I'm like, mm. what? Like, <laughs> like it, I think like it's something's wrong with the algorithm where mm-hmm. as soon as somebody presses the call to the elevator on one, it doesn't matter if it has another four to go to, it's going to go down. And so I've been writing also like for the past two months, like riding the elevator like up and down a lot. So yeah, so me and my neighbors on the eighth floor, because we're the top floor, so this happens to us all the time. We've been getting to know each other a lot, and we talk about this a lot. So I guess that's good. That's that's a high. I'm getting to know my neighbors. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> a low. A low for everyone in the world. Elevators. <laughs> cool. You can catch any show notes we have at tentative.fm slash 43. You can find us on Twitter at tentative.fm or by email at host at tentative.fm. And of course, you can find us on iTunes. You can rate us. You can stay tuned for the next episode because that'll surely be awesome. I don't know. Do you want to give your Twitter handle, Brenda? Yeah, I'm Brenda Storer. I'm Brenda Marie NYC. I'm Dawn. And you can find me on Twitter at Dawn Dig. That's cute. All right. bye y'all bye this podcast was brought to you by thoughtbot we are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product with local studios in boston san francisco new york london austin raleigh and washington dc let's build something great together